Thank you, Tim. Thank you, praise team. What a precious time of worship we have had thus far. May it continue as we take time to open God's Word together and spend time in it. And I would invite you, if you would, uh, turn with me to 1 John chapter 2, chapter two uh, starting in verse 28, and we are going to work our way uh, all the way down, I say, through uh, chapter 3, uh, verse 3. And as you're turning in your Bible there, it is uh, helpful to think about, uh, we all like to be ready. We went through that this morning, right? However you wound up showing up here, uh, you did something to get ready, right? I don't see any pajamas out here or anything like that, for which I'm thankful. So uh, <laughs> we, we've all done something in the way of getting ready. Uh, we've done something in the way of getting ready just a moment ago as we prepared our hearts uh, and uh, come before the Lord in prayer as we Praise the Lord that that is an aspect also of preparing our hearts and coming before the Lord, that even in the study of God's Word, He's preparing our hearts. We like to make preparation for all sorts of things, and we like to be ready when we know that we need to be. How much more crucial is that as it relates to Jesus, and particularly as it relates to the fact that Jesus will return? That we ought to be ready. We ought to feel the concern of that, and we ought to do everything that we can from a biblical understanding of how is it that we are to prepare for Jesus' second coming, for His arrival. Well, grab your copy of God's Word and read with me, if you will, in 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 28, and I'm going to read down through verse uh, 3 of chapter 3. Read with me, if you will. It says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, And now, little children, abide in Him. So that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God? And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Let's pray together. Father, by Your Spirit and for Your glory, in this moment now, Prepare our hearts. Lord, you know the things that are distracting to our own mind, to our own attention. Father, you know the ways in which our affections are pulled in a thousand different ways. Father, we pray that in this moment you would bring clarity of conviction. That each and every one of us would be dialed into your word. Father, that we would hear you speak as you do the work of preparing our hearts for the arrival of Jesus. Father, by your Spirit and for your glory, may you be honored and magnified and exalted in all the ways in which we learn and grow and respond together. And Father, we ask for you to do more in this moment than we even realize is possible. And we ask it all in Jesus' mighty name and for his glory. Amen. So as we come into this section of God's Word, and it's it's always helpful whenever we jump back in to remember where we've been. 
We've talked about who God is and how he's at work and all these wonders of his forgiveness and his grace and the way in which he has revealed himself in terms of being God who is light. We've talked about the ongoing and the finished work of Christ. We've talked about all manner of family reminders and these reminders for believers and all manner of your Christian maturity and what that's supposed to look like. We've talked about discerning things rightly and correctly. We've talked about abiding in Him. And as we come into this passage, He's really taking this whole declaration of abiding in Jesus and making further application of it. Because it feels like he's sort of repeating himself, and to a degree he is. When we read in verse 28, he says, And now, little children, abide in him. He's making application, and he's using that same word that he used in chapter 2, verse 12, and all those family reminders of talking about those who are at their uh, lowest point of maturity, in their earliest age in their faith in Christ, but also those who are acknowledged as those who are loved and embraced and treasured by God himself. And now, little children, abide in him. Abide in Christ. And the fact is, we can't say that often enough. We cannot say that with enough emphasis. It is repetitive and it is meant to be repetitive. Because especially as children, and even as, you know, for parents with children, and as you're training and equipping your children to face life, there's a lot of repetition that is involved. We remember from the earliest days, right? You're repeating all these things. You're, you're repeating the ABCs so that one day they're going to be able to say them back to you. You sit down with books and you open them up and you start to read because you acknowledge that at one point they're going to start to pick these words out and start to sound them out for themselves after all of the repetition. For many of us, we can remember decades ago and think about all those things that our parents used to repeat to us all the time. And it's as though at the time we weren't even listening or at least they didn't think we were. And yet now you can just recall those things one after another, after another, after another. How much more so in thinking about God and His Word and what He's doing and who He is. He says, little children, abide in Him. Stay in this good ground of dependence upon Him. And expect a whole lot of good to come out of abiding in Jesus. See, we can talk about all the details of the end times and the second coming and all this sort of stuff. And a lot of times what happens is that sort of gets run off into a rabbit trail where what can easily happen is you stir up a whole bunch of fret and fear and everything else. And where we're being led right here by the Spirit of God through God's Word is that we are just to focus on abiding in Him. And expect Him to bear out wonderful results out of long-term abiding. We see this all the time. You might have uh, got up early this morning and chucked something into a crock pot. Because you want that long-term abiding of whatever you got in there to be ready when you get home from church. And you know when it's slow cooked and covered in meat, juice, and everything else that it's going to be good, right? Right? That's why if you really want barbecue, you don't get it out of a microwave. you got to slow cook it. It's the same thing, the same sort of long-term abiding, remaining in Him, focusing on Him. He says, little children, abide in Him. So that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. 
that we're preparing for Jesus' arrival by living like him now. So that when he appears, and the word that he uses here in the Greek text is a word that's often used when you talk about the second coming, the parousia, right? Jesus will come back. Jesus is going to return in his second coming. He is coming in all glory. And we we ought often to remind ourselves, time is short. We ought often to remind ourselves, be certain of his return. Because when you have those two things sort of right in front of the forefront of your eyes, then you're going to focus and you're going to be able to live with some sense of priority of doing what matters most right now. Because when you know someone's arrival is imminent, it changes how you act right now, doesn't it? If sometime this afternoon you knew somebody was going to come to your house, would you do anything different than what you were going to do anyway? Might not be wearing slippers when you answer the door. Might pick up all those toys that are littered all over the place. Might get things in, the pieces back together. And see, what we realize in thinking about all these things, because you think about that now, you're like, oh man, that would be terrible. But see, we're less anxious about it if we're prepared all along. Right? And so it is with Jesus. It's not going to stir our anxiety if we know that we're dependent upon Him now. If we're walking with Him now, this calm, steady, abiding in Him where you're growing and learning. Where you're depending on Him and your your life is bearing forth like a garden of His grace where the fruitfulness of just abiding in Him is all over and you're looking forward to the day when you get to say, look Lord, you saved me by your grace and for your glory and out of barren, fruitless soil, look at what you've done with my life. When you know Jesus as Savior, you look forward to the day of saying, Look, Lord, look at what you've done. He says, Abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Not hiding, not unnerved about it, not unprepared. Now, I say that with full acknowledgement that some of y'all may have gone through most of last Tuesday with a sense of foreboding in your heart because you got to work and then you realized it's Valentine's Day and I didn't do anything about it. And so all day, you know, the time is ticking and you know you're going to get home and you're thinking, what am I going to do and how am I going to do this? And you completely forgot. And it's like every tick of the clock gets a little louder and you don't know what you're going to say. And it's an awful feeling, isn't it? It makes you want to shrink back in shame. But when you're prepared, like, bring it on. I'm ready for this. There's a sense of confidence about it. It reminds me of the way in which Jesus was teaching his disciples about the end of all things in Luke chapter 21, where he says, Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. That's confidence, isn't it? Now we're preparing for Jesus' arrival by looking at the moment right now. And see, there's confidence when you know somebody and when you're known by somebody. That any one of us could walk into a crowd and usually if we're there for any moment of time, we can start to figure out who do I know in this crowd or do I know anybody in this crowd and what comfort and confidence there is when you find not only do I know someone but they know me as well. Think about the return of Christ. 
Think about all the confidence of knowing him and knowing that you are known by him. That he who holds all things together, who's gracious and loving and merciful and righteous, who knows all your failures and all your faults and all the baggage that you don't want to unpack, he knows all of that and loves you the same. Saved you by grace. And that his grace, his glory, he is our confidence. Trusting, abiding in him. So that you may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Because when he does come, there will be some who will be ashamed. Who have maybe said one thing with their mouths and their lives told a different story. Who maybe acknowledged him with their lips but their hearts were far from him. who beheld some sense of his glory from his word and yet lived to embrace sin. When Christ returns, it will be a shameful moment for all those who are faking it. It's an embarrassing thing to be in a crowd of people and start to boast and brag about somebody that you know. And then they walk in the door and then it becomes very plain that you don't know a clue in the world who you're talking about. How much worse will it be if you play the game all along and pretend to know the Lord and yet in actual fact you've never actually trusted him at all? You see, Jesus, God himself, is preparing us for the arrival of Jesus by not only acknowledging the moment then, but responding in the moment right now. He says, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. He says, if you know that Jesus is righteous, well, do you know that Jesus is righteous? Well, you ought to. I mean, this is like core baseline of the gospel. If you are a Christian, if you know Jesus Christ as Savior and the Lord, you must know that Jesus is righteous. Because our salvation is predicated and reliant upon the righteousness of Jesus. That he was born in the flesh, fully God, fully man, was tempted in every way as we are, and yet was without sin. In perfect righteousness, he went to the cross as our substitute, endured the full outpouring of the wrath of God against our sin. And through faith in him, we are forgiven because he's our sacrifice. And then we are clothed in his righteousness because he has already accomplished that. His righteousness is our hope of life. His righteousness is our guarantee of forgiveness. His righteousness is tried and demonstrated and proven true. It's just like the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, when he says this. He says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He says, if you know that he is righteous, if you know that Jesus is righteous, then you can be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. If you know Jesus, you will be like him. 
If you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, if you are born again by the Spirit, if you are made alive in Christ Jesus, in some way, shape, form, or fashion, you will see this bear out in your life. That Jesus who saves us leaves evidence of his work in our lives. You can see it in the shaping of our character that the things that we once embraced and the sinful patterns that we once embraced are being taken off and shaped and, and shaved away, just removed entirely. He's sanctifying us and making us ever increasingly more like him. I mean, we can, you can go home, right? Wherever your home may be, you could go home for maybe, I don't know, five days, right? You go on a little vacation and you go spend time with some people and maybe it's in some you know, southern quarter down below the Nat line and everything else, and, you know, you're in that lovely part of the state of Georgia, and you're, you know, twanging up with the country accent, and before long, you come back. It's only five days. You come back, and you, all of a sudden, you're saying words, like three-syllable words that are 12 syllables long. And people are like, what happened to you? Well, I just spent some time with some people I know. It doesn't take long, does it? How much more so when you know Christ? How much deeper of a life transformation do you see that? Do we expect less of Him? He says, be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. Now, we do need to be careful here about what we mean by practices righteousness because Jesus was very clear about it. Practicing righteousness is not some sort of self-serving commercial about look at what I've done. It had no way. Real righteousness is not, hey, look at me. You remember the warnings of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. What good is it if you love those who love you? Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who mistreat you. When you go to, to, to give, don't tell everybody, hey, guess what? I'm going to give something to somebody right now. When you go to pray for somebody, you don't do it out so that you say, hey, let me gather up everybody so they can watch me pray for you first. When you fast, you don't look like you're half dead when you're doing it. So that everybody will be like, oh, poor you. Jesus says, that's your reward. You got attention from somebody else. That's not righteousness. That's self-righteousness. Those two are not the same thing. Those who practice righteousness live in the pattern of doing what is right no matter the cost and no matter the context and only by the Spirit of God. Everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. So that your whole life becomes a display of look at what God has done. Look at what Jesus has done. Look at what he's bearing out in me. Look at how he's taken me and all these patterns of my life where I sinned and I didn't care and I didn't care and I didn't care. And all of a sudden it's gone and I want to live for the glory of Christ. That's righteousness. And it's proof as he describes it here. Everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. You want confidence for the second coming? Make sure you're born again right now. Make sure that you have that right in this moment because your confidence about the coming of Christ is not going to come from somebody's predictions about something. It's going to come in how you respond to Jesus right now and that your life bearing forth genuine evidence of being converted and being alive in Jesus. And so it's going to shape the way in which you think about even what is right 
It's going to shape the way you pray and shape the way you live and shape the way you care for your family, shape the way you give, shape the way you, you pursue any measure of doing what is right. And that if you care nothing for righteousness right now, not only do you have no confidence for the second coming, but according to this, you're probably not born again. And just the fact that we get to mention that is a reminder of the mercy of God. That he would warn us of that. Make sure that before you think of that moment then, you deal with this moment now. You make sure your heart is right with the Lord. And that you come before him broken sinful, acknowledging that you have sinned against the righteous and the holy God and that it is appointed a man once to die and then comes judgment and if it was only on the basis of whatever you've done up to this moment, you would stand condemned just like every single one of us and that our only hope of salvation is that Jesus died on the cross for our sin and rose from the dead and we have forgiveness and everlasting life in his name. But you gotta trust him. You gotta believe him more than you believe you. You may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. He's saying prepare for then by looking at the evidence now. But he goes on and thinking about and even talking about preparing for the second coming of Christ and doing so by remembering who you are. He says in chapter 3 verse 1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called the children of God, and so we are. He says, look, see it, look with amazement. Slow down like a tour guide and say, if you look to your left, you'll see, right? It just is sort of slowing down and look at the love that the Father has given to us. We can spend so much time looking for things that don't matter. Living our lives like we're just flipping the channels. Or if you want a more modern metaphor, like we're just scrolling on the screen on your phone. Just one after another. It's just nothing's catching my interest. I just don't, you know, we'll pay attention for 35 seconds and it's like, oh, I'm done, I'm moving on. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. Because the fact of noticing this now is it an acknowledgement that when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing His praise than when we first begun? See it now, because we're going to be acknowledging it for all eternity. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. It's amazing, the greatness of His love. I mean, even the words that are being used here, like the word that, see what kind. This is the same word that was used of Jesus whenever He calmed the storm and the disciples looked at Him and said, what kind of man is this? It's an acknowledgement of his greatness and his glory that we should be astonished at the love of God, that he knew my sinfulness and he sought me to save me. That God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and we love him because he first loved us. See what kind of love he's given to us. Be astonished that his love has endured all of our sinfulness, all of our prodigal seasons, all of our lingering unbelief, all of our unwillingness to repent, and he saves. 
And he loves us through all the teaching and all the correction and all the sanctification and all those times when we've been so bullheaded and loved us through all those unlovable moments. And never once did his love ever relent. See what kind of love that the Father has been given to us. And then just the acknowledgement that it's been given to us as a reminder, it's all grace. We don't deserve any of it. And yet God is so good that he so freely gives it. And gives it for this purpose that we should be called the children of God. Now if you're anything like me, you've been called all sorts of things throughout your life. Some of them not so good. Probably had childhood nicknames, especially if you have siblings. You had some nicknames, I'm sure. You played sports, you probably picked up those as well. Not all of those names, those things that we've been called along the way were pleasing things. Some of those names are good things, though. You got a little pet names for your Valentine and whatever else you call them, right? We've been called all sorts of things along the way. There's nothing better than being called a child of God. See the love of the Father that we can be called children of God. We don't deserve Him, and yet He sought us and has adopted us and brought us into His family. We're justified and made right with Him and reconciled to the Father against whom we have all sinned. And we ought always to enjoy being His. And that even in the in the time when this was written, when 1 John was written in the first century, children often went unwanted. In the first century Roman Empire, it was not uncommon that if a father decided he didn't want his infant child, he would leave them, as it was termed at the time, exposed. Take the child off and leave it on a city wall somewhere and just... See what happens. Don't care. Many people would have understood and known exactly what it was like to have no sense or understanding of any sense of fatherly affection or fatherly care. And though the exact same things are not happening in our society, the same sort of tenor of our society is still there. So many people growing up without any sense and understanding of fatherly affection and fatherly love and fatherly care and what it would mean to enjoy having God as your father. Listen, even if you are, have lived a life entirely devoid of parental affection, look to the heavenly father who is so full of love and grace and truth, who corrects what is right, who redeems and loves, who will never leave you, who will never forsake you, who will care for you in your worst moments, and who who will never throw his hands up and walk off. You're not a lost cause. You're his. And you look at our heavenly father and you start to boast of him. You start to do that fun little child game. Oh yeah, well my dad can. Oh yeah, well, my heavenly father hung the moon quite literally. Oh yeah, well, my dad raises the dead quite literally. 
What better name is there than to be called a child of God? But it's not just that we're called children of God. Look at what he says. He says, and so we are. It's not just a name, it's reality. This is what we get to enjoy and love and walk in. Look at reality. Look at to whom you belong. Benefiting from his wisdom and his grace and his fruitfulness that he never gives up and never fails and always emboldens and guides and corrects. That if you're a believer and you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, amid all the questions that swirl around about identity and everything else, take refuge in being a child of the Heavenly Father. Start there and everything else will fall into place. And when you do, Know him as heavenly father through faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. You should expect that some family likeness will start to show up. He says the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. The world in the sense of the unbelieving sort of against Christ worldview and the people walking in darkness instead of the truth who look at believers, who look at those who know Jesus, who look at those who have been born again by the Spirit and just can't figure it out. Because there's no reference point. There's no understanding of who Jesus is. The world did not know Jesus. And so his likeness is completely unrecognizable to those who do not know him. I mean, I can stand up here and tell you, oh yeah, well, I'm the son of Steve Bennett. And for most of you in here, you're like, who cares, right? That means nothing to me because you don't know who he is. So you wouldn't even recognize his likeness because you don't know him. It's the same thing that he's describing here. The world does not recognize, does not know Christ. So when we love our enemies and they're looking at, why are you loving your enemies? Why are you pursuing holiness? Why are you walking in grace? Why are you living as a living sacrifice? Why are you embracing humility? Why are you praying? Why are you seeking reconciliation? Why are you living your life as a minister of reconciliation? What are you doing all of this for? It doesn't make sense. There's no category for that when you're living in the darkness. It doesn't register. But see, for us who know Christ, we, we shouldn't look at this and get, that and get upset about it because we're not living our lives to curry the favor of public opinion and the world's, you know, pat on the back. This isn't for them. This is for Christ. We shouldn't wait for unbelievers to applaud our faith because it's not going to happen. But we ought to prepare for the second coming of Christ by living like him and embracing who we are in Christ. He says, verse 2, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Isn't it wonderful just reading these, so many of these family words that are used here in the text, beloved, right? This is how the Heavenly Father looks at His children. Beloved. He says, we are God's children now. If you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, look at right now. 
See, this is what's so hard, especially when you talk about the end, when you talk about the second coming. He's saying, acknowledge the fact that that's going to happen, but look at the moment right now. It's so easy to get wrapped up in discontent and, and cease from enjoying the moment now. He says, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. And it's amazing thinking about the Apostle John even talking about this. Because John was there all along, right? He was there with Jesus and all the earthly ministry. And Jesus was, I mean, John was there with Jesus when Jesus was on the cross, Right? He was there, he would have seen and acknowledged, was involved in all the resurrection narratives, would have seen the the glorified flesh of Jesus after he rose from the dead, would have watched Jesus ascend into heaven in glorified flesh, clothed in immortality. He says, when we, we know that what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we'll be like him because we shall see him as he is. At his second coming, we're going to be like him. And we could really make application of this in two sort of categories. One is physically. Just like Tim was reading a little while ago. This tent is clothed in life. Death is swallowed up in life. Physically, I think we could all acknowledge this right here is not glorified flesh. Full of cholesterol and arthritis. Got all sorts of baldness and belly fat. Got all sorts of weird quirks that nobody seems to ever be able to figure out. Some weird mixture of strength and weakness. Every day you get a little older and every day there's a new ache in a place that you didn't even know you had. And when Christ returns, we clothed in immortality. Death will be swallowed up in life. All of the weakness will be full of his vigor. And it'll be amazing. And what a wonderful reminder is that you don't lose who you are, right? will be recognizable. Jesus was recognizable in his glorified flesh, right? We can acknowledge that. And all the wonder of the fact that we get to be a part of worshiping and walking in him together now, and then we get to look forward to the day that we'll be, get, be able to do this forever. But not only physically, but he also is making reference to the character transformation in full righteousness and holiness, clothed in his love and his kindness and his peace, clothed in his likeness full of grace and truth, and ever looking at him and acknowledging him, look, Lord, look at what you've done with me. We'll be like him because we shall see him as he is. You see, everything is about fixing our eyes on him, fixing our eyes on him then, but the only way we're going to fix our eyes on him then is make sure that we're fixing our eyes on him right now. Amazed at Jesus, that we never lose the awe and wonder of who he is and what he's done for us in the cross and in the resurrection and the wonder of his power and his grace and his redemption and his rescue. And that for all we know now, we can look forward to the fact that it's, it's going to get better and clearer. And that who we are 
right now informs who we will be. So what do we do while we wait? Because he hadn't come back yet. What do we do while we bide our time? Well, isn't it interesting we're always asking that question? That's why so many of us appreciate smartphones, because when you're sitting in the doctor's office, locked up in that tiny little room with a bunch of magazines that you don't want to read and you don't want to go rifling through anybody's cabinets because it doesn't belong to you, you're thankful that you're able to read the news on your phone. Or maybe it's like when you go to Cracker Barrel and you're waiting for a piece of country ham or something and you want to find out how smart you are, you get that little triangle thing off the table and you figure out right quickly that you're an ignoramus. We find all sorts of ways to bide our time, don't we? What are we supposed to be doing while we wait for Christ? What does the text tell us? Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who thus hopes, who hopes and looks forward to the coming of Jesus. So as a believer who looks forward to that day, that Lord, come. Maranatha, come. Come, Lord Jesus. Certain of the reality of your own sin, but certain of the wonder of his grace and his love that has made you alive in Christ Jesus. And that everyone who looks forward to that day, filled with hope and looking forward to his arrival, purifies himself as he is pure. He's talking about right now. That future hope drives present faithfulness. We see this in our own lives all the time. That you look forward to the day when you pay off your house. Which means that's going to change your behavior right now. Because you're going to do everything that you can to pay off your house. You look forward to the day when you can look back across your life and just enjoy the fact that you've grown old together. But you better start treating her right right now if you're ever going to make it to growing old together. Future hope affects, drives present faithfulness. And so it's like we look at the end and we say, Lord, I know you're coming and I look forward to the day, but in this moment now, Father, purify me. Make me more and more like Jesus. Expose my pride. Expose any sinfulness that is in me. Expose my covetousness and unholiness and cleanse me. Help me to enjoy 1 John 1, 9. That if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because we all know good and well that some things that look pure are not. You can go get water out of a stream somewhere and be like, this looks pretty clear. But then you dump it on a little thing and you look at the Petri dish under the microscope and you're like, I'm not drinking that mess. We all walk through the whole season of COVID and all, every, every time, it's like they would show these weird graphics of people not washing their hands. And it looked like they had radioactive material all over them. And we were all like, man, you better not be touching me. I mean, it looks clean. Might even smell clean. I don't know, I'm not smelling your hands, but hey. Just because it looks that way may not mean that it is. What about you? 
You may look like you got it all put together, but you may know good and well that you don't know Jesus at all. You may know Jesus and your life is just a mess because you keep fighting him at every moment. But if you're looking forward to his return, looking forward to taking all of what is going on in your life and saying, lifting it up as an offering to him, say, look, at Lord, look, Lord, look at what you've done with my life. You want that? You want your life to increasingly declare, I belong to Jesus, to everybody who is around you, that he who saves is he who cleanses, is he who we aim to be conformed to. Prepare for the arrival of Jesus. Knowing to whom you belong and living like it. And perhaps in reading this here, by the work of the Spirit, it has become clear who you are. And maybe you recognize you're not a child of God here this morning. That you hear it's appointed a man or it's appointed a person once to die and then comes judgment. And you think, if I died right now, I don't have him. There's hope for you yet. Because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We need to understand our need. You need to understand your need. Because it's more than just, hey, I want Jesus in order to make things go better for me when I go home and go to work, or I want Jesus to make things better for me. No, you need Jesus to forgive you of your sin. He'll lead you through all the other stuff, but the main point, the main issue is our own sin, our own ruin, that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all run off on our own way. We've all done it in different ways. Some of us deny his even existence. Some of us deny his significance. Some of us look at our own lives and say, I'm more righteous than you are. I'm going to do it on my own, refusing to acknowledge our covetousness and our pride and our arrogance and our idolatry. You need to understand your needs so that you can understand God's provision. That God in love sent His only Son who came in the flesh, lived in perfect righteousness, was tempted in every way as we are, and went to the cross to die for you. To endure the full outpouring of the wrath of God against your sin that all who would repent and believe would have forgiveness and everlasting life in His name. And that out of the darkness, the Spirit of God brings regeneration. He brings that life. And it's like all the lights come on and all of a sudden you see the horror of your own sin and you see the glory of what God has done. And it's an easy choice. And then when you walk over here and you say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I need you. Save me by your grace. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin and rose from the dead. You are saved. And so that you can look forward to the second coming of Christ and say, maybe that's going to be tomorrow or maybe that's going to be a thousand years from now. But I'm going to look forward to presenting my life to him. Say, Lord, look at what you've done. I belong to you. Can you say that this morning? Maybe you need to get that right this morning. Live prepared for the coming of Christ.
and make sure in this moment now that you're ready. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, by your Spirit in our midst, do more than we even think is possible. We pray for clarity of conviction of sin. And we pray of the wonder of your life-giving power that out of condemnation and death you would call us to life. That we would be amazed by it. Father, for all of us in here who know Jesus as Savior and Lord, Father, may our hearts resound with praise because we can not only say we are children of God, but Father, we can look forward to belonging to you forever. And Lord, in this moment now, we pray also for clarity of conviction for anyone in here who does not know you. That they would turn away from their sin and run to Jesus and have forgiveness and everlasting life in him. Lord, prepare us now for what's coming in the future. And may our response be a bold declaration that we are here to live and abide in Jesus. We ask all of this in the mighty name of our crucified and risen Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen.